the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The conditions were so bad in that day that even the spiritual leaders, the prophets, and the priests among them are deceiving the people and giving them a false sense of security. These false prophets and these deceiving priests were going around telling people it's no big deal. Our sin is is not as bad as people are making it out to be. Peace, peace, love, harmony, it's all good. And they're they're even putting coexist bumper stickers on the back of their chariots. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. In the Garden of Eden, Satan managed to convince Adam and Eve that it really wasn't a big deal to disobey God. This lie has pervaded mankind ever since. As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, this was a big problem in Israel during the time of Jeremiah, And it's a big problem today. In order to avoid making anyone uncomfortable, we've tried to do away with the idea of absolute truth. The problem is that the absolute truth of Jesus is the only real solution to the biggest problem facing mankind. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, as he begins his message, A Serious Wound. The prophet Isaiah has been dead now about 60 years when God calls, appoints, and anoints Jeremiah as the new prophet to pick up and carry on where Isaiah left off. And so Jeremiah is prophesying to the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah, and the capital city of this southern kingdom of Judah is Jerusalem. The time when God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nation, it is believed that Jeremiah may have been 22 years of age, but even more likely 17, or somewhere in, the, in between. So he's young, he's inexperienced, he has uh, no clue what he's doing, and you can see in chapter 1 his reluctance to really serve in this capacity. Who, who, who wouldn't be reluctant if you're that young and the task is so overwhelming? But God knows exactly what he's doing. As I said last week, God is often most glorified when he uses people who are least qualified. And so Jeremiah accepts God's calling and he becomes this mouthpiece of the Lord for the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, the Jewish people, his own countrymen, that he lives here as well. And, and so the, the year is uh, somewhere around 600 B.C. or so, 
and he's going to live long enough to see the impending disaster that he prophesies. Because God has put it on Jeremiah's heart to tell the people that because of of the fact that they had forsaken the Lord their God, and because they had turned to false gods, gods that could not help them, gods that were not real, gods of wood and stone, and that the people had repeatedly rejected the warnings of the prophets, that God was going to subject them then to his discipline. God would not destroy them. In fact, he's very specific through the prophet Jeremiah to say, I will not destroy you, but I will discipline you. God always disciplines those whom he loves, and he wanted to purge them of their idolatry. And because they refused to listen to the Lord, then the Lord is going to bring the Babylonian empire to bear upon them as the rod of his discipline. He's going to use the Babylonians as a corrective tool in their lives. Now, you'll note with me that often through Jeremiah, and particularly we'll see it here in the opening few chapters, there's a lot of imagery that Jeremiah uses that God inspires for him to use uh, concerning the relationship with God and the people like a marriage, and that God presents as the husband in the story, and that Judah or Israel presents as the bride, and God's charge against his bride is that you've been unfaithful to me. You have committed adultery. You've gone after other lovers. They have left the true and living God in pursuit of other false gods, these idols and these gods that are not real. And so for that reason, uh, you can either turn or just listen. But in chapter 3, verse 9, God says, Judah has defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. So there you have that, that marriage imagery there. The idea that Judah has been unfaithful. She's committed adultery. It's spiritual adultery. She's abandoned her true love, and she's gone after these other uh, gods. And God also says in chapter 3, verse 20, like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. So there you have that imagery. God is the husband, the people are like the bride, and she has been unfaithful to him. Now, Uh, Judah got this whole idea, this false idea of false gods and worshiping these false gods from their neighbors, from from the foreign nations around them. They started uh, adopting the gods around them and forsook the true and living God. And so what God is basically going to do, in fact, he spells it out in chapter 5, verse 19, what God is basically saying to them is, here's what's going to happen. If, if you guys so much love these gods of these foreign nations, then why don't you just go ahead and serve these foreign nations where they worship these gods that you say you love, and then see how that goes for you. So if you love these foreign gods so much of these foreign nations, I'll go ahead and I'll send you. I'll send you to these distant nations, and I'll let you see how life goes for you there, and then maybe, maybe you will realize what you are missing. You know, often we don't appreciate what we have until we've lost it or until it's missing. And so here in chapter 4 of Jeremiah, God then pronounces his impending judgment in the form of the Babylonians. Chapter 4, look at with me, verses 5 and 6. He says, announce in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, sound the trumpet throughout the, the land. This is like a battle cry. Cry aloud and say, gather together, let us flee to the fortified cities, raise the signal to go to Zion, flee for safety without delay, 
For I am bringing disaster from the north, even terrible destruction. God is telling the people this in advance. If you would underline or highlight in your Bibles, disaster from the north. That's what he says there in verse 6. God is about to bring disaster from the north. Now, the disaster from the north that God is referring to here is the Babylonian army. He's going to bring the Babylonian army, the Babylonian empire located in what would be today modern Iraq in that region. And the Babylonians will come and they will, they will go through Syria and they will swoop down on Judah and Jerusalem coming down from the north. So the, the region we're talking about specifically here is the region of Judah, capital city Jerusalem. Jerusalem located to the north and west of the Dead Sea. And we're speaking here exclusively of the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom is gone now. The northern kingdom of Israel, about 125 years before Jeremiah, has been taken captive by the Assyrians. The Assyrians used to be the dominant world power. They swooped down around 722 B.C., and they took Israel to the north for the same reasons, which, by the way, is why God holds Judah more accountable, because he says to them, you saw your sister Israel. You saw what happened to her. She rebelled against me, and look what happened to her, and still you're forsaking me. You know, we are more accountable with more information. And the people of Judah had more information because they saw what happened in Israel, and yet they still didn't turn from their wicked ways, and they're doing the same thing. They're worshiping false gods, they're rebelling against the Lord, forsaking Him. So the region we're talking about here is Judah, capital city of Jerusalem, and God's going to bring the Babylonians to bear upon them. And so the Babylonian Empire was originally headquartered here in what is in ancient terms called Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia just literally means the land between two rivers. So you have the Euphrates River, and then you have the Tigris River. And Babylon, the capital city of Babylonia, is located right on the Euphrates River. Now, at this time that they are about to besiege Judah, uh, historically, around 600 B.C., and, and shortly thereafter, the late 500s B.C., everything you see on this map, everything will end up becoming part of the Babylonian Empire. So Judah is still kind of a stronghold, and that's about to change. God is going to whistle for the Babylonians to come. And so they will end up coming to Judah by way of the Euphrates River. They're just going to hug the Euphrates River. They're going to make their journey through Syria. It's always important, especially in those days, you need to have a fresh water supply. So the troops of Babylon are going to come up the Euphrates River, and then they're going to start to go south, cutting through Syria, down by Damascus, and they're going to end up taking this trail, and they're going to end up now coming to attack Judah. And it starts around 606 B.C. The first wave of exiles will be taken from Judah back to Babylon, among them Daniel and his friends from the book of Daniel. And it will be 20 years before ultimately the entire land, and in particular Jerusalem, is subdued. 586 B.C., Jerusalem will fall into the hands of the Babylonians. And the Babylonians will besiege the city, destroy it, destroy the temple, take the articles of the temple back to Babylon, and it will be a destruction that is devastating. And Jeremiah is telling the people in advance, this is what is going to happen. This is what is going to happen. Now Babylon is inferred here with this phrase, this devastation from the north. Babylon as a word, as a name, will not be mentioned until chapter 20 of Jeremiah. But then from chapter 20 through the end of Jeremiah, there are more references by name to Babylon 
in the book of Jeremiah than anywhere else in all of the Bible combined. All of the references to Babylon in the Bible combined, not as many times as Jeremiah speaks of Babylon, 164 times. He mentions it by name. Why is that important? Because this is the common cry of Jeremiah. He's like, Babylon, 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 they're coming. Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. And here's what the people are hearing. You're just babbling on, babbling on, babbling on. You know, blah, 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 blah. It's like Charlie Brown's teacher. That's all that they're thinking that he sounds like. Wah, 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 wah. And so they're completely turning a deaf ear. Completely. They don't believe it. They don't believe the danger. They don't really believe the seriousness of their own sinful condition. None of it. They don't believe it at all. Now, just pause for a minute and think for me, with me. If, if Jeremiah were to, like, suddenly appear here in the United States, and, and he was announcing to the United States this impending judgment from God, which would not be too, you know, out of the, out of the question, but anyway. And, and he says, there's, a, there's devastation coming from the north. There's an army coming from the north. And you people better get your acts together. What do you think most Americans would think? Wah, 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 right? We'd be like, army from the north, what kind of a threat is Canada? Come on, I mean, come on. Come on, do they even have an army? I mean, we'd be sitting there, you know, what what are their weapons? Hockey sticks? Come on. Really, what are they going to do? Come over and beat us with Canadian bacon? Come on. Attack us with maple leaves? I mean, really? So we wouldn't believe it. That's exactly what's happening here. They're like, oh, come on. No problem is going to happen. No devastation from the north. It's no big deal. And so they, they completely don't take it seriously, and, and they write off the whole warning. And so it's falling on deaf ears. Jeremiah's words are falling on deaf ears. Jump over to chapter 6 now, if, if you would, with me. Chapter 6 of Jeremiah. And, and he says as much, how, it, how it's all falling on deaf ears. Chapter 6, verse 10. Chapter 6.10, he says, To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Jeremiah says, they're, they're not taking me seriously. They've just closed off their ears. They're not listening. Keep there in chapter 6. Jump ahead to verse 13. And this is where we're going to really focus the rest of our study. He says in verse 13, From the least to the greatest... All are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. Jeremiah says to us that the conditions were so bad in that day that even the spiritual leaders, the prophets, and the priests among them are deceiving the people and giving them a false sense of security. These false prophets and these deceiving priests were going around telling people it's no big deal. Our sin is is not as bad as people are making it out to be. Peace, peace, love, harmony, it's all good. And they're they're even putting coexist bumper stickers on the back of their chariots. (laughs) And that's just their mentality. They're just like, it's all good, we're all good, everybody, can't we just get along? You know, it's it's all fine, and and everything's going to be okay. 
And they're giving their, their people this false sense of security in, instead of telling them what they really need to hear because God's evaluation of things is very different. And that's why we read there in the middle of verse 14 where God says that my people have a serious wound, but the prophets and the priests are treating it like it's nothing. You know, sin is a serious wound. It, the, the people are dying because of their rebellion against God, sin is killing them. They've got this serious wound, and, and the prophets and the priests are treating it like it's nothing. I mean, to use a modern equivalent, it, it would be like a, a soldier who loses a leg from an IED. And, in, and instead of somebody quickly putting a tourniquet on and rushing them to a, a, a combat hospital, somebody just gives them an aspirin and says, it's no big deal, it's, you're going to be fine. This is, this is the analogy that God is making here in Old Testament terms. So we need to kind of bring it up to date to realize the seriousness of what's happening here. There's a serious condition, and the prophets and priests are looking at them like, it's not, it's not that big a deal. Don't, don't worry, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. And what concerns me is that I think this problem still plagues some if not many churches today. There's a lot of feel-good gospel out there. Pastors who are telling their congregations what the people want to hear instead of what the people need to hear. And what we all need to hear is that we all have a serious wound called sin. And we all need a trauma center now. And the only physician who can save us is Jesus. That's the truth. That's what we all need. And we must take sin seriously, and it begins with our own hearts. The idea, and this is a common notion, it's common for people today to incorrectly think that the evil of mankind can be solved by the good of mankind. Let me, let me tell you something from a biblical perspective of life. Evil in this world will only be held at bay as long as bad people exercise some form of self-restraint. But the moment they decide no longer to be restrained is the moment that literally all hell breaks loose. And that's why we're all wondering from time to time when the next shoe will drop. You know, what school is safe? What church is safe? What synagogue is safe? What college campus is safe? What movie theater is safe? What outdoor concert is safe? What military base is safe? What workplace is safe? We don't know anymore because we're always wondering, when's the next bad person going to be unrestrained and just do what they jolly well want to do? And, and listen, this is not an argument. My statement is no reflection at all against guns. The fact of the matter is that if it's not guns, it can be pipe bombs like we've seen this week too, or it can be anthrax, or it can be box cutters. The problem is not what is in someone's hand. The problem is what is in the heart. And it's a heart issue. Mankind is not the solution to mankind's problem. Jesus is. But here's the disconnect for most people. And this is where the teaching gets a little bit what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Here's what often becomes the disconnect, however, in a situation like the horrific scene of yesterday and scenes like that. 
most people, in reaction to those things, tend to quietly, subconsciously say to ourselves, I'm not as bad as that guy, because I haven't killed anybody. I'm not as bad as that guy, because I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm not as bad as my coworker, because I don't cheat on my spouse. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I don't get wasted as much as he does. I'm not as bad as my husband, because I don't get as angry. I'm not as bad as my wife, because I don't gossip that much. I'm not as bad as my parents, because I don't treat my kids the way they treated me. And on and on the list goes. And we end up, whether we recognize it or not, making mental lists of good guys and bad guys. That's the way we see our world. And we almost never, almost never put ourselves on the bad guy list. Because the bad guy list are the really bad people. The pimps and prostitutes and rapists and murderers. So we see our world that way. But let me tell you the way God sees our world as reflected in the Bible. There are bad guys, but there's only one good guy. And we are all the bad guys. And Jesus is the only good guy who died on a cross for all the bad guys and bad girls in the world to give us a new heart and a new life through faith in him who died on a cross for all the bad guys in the world. That's the answer. And that's the way God sees our world. That's the way God sees us. Now, I know some of you are like, did you just lump me in the list with a bunch of bad people that I don't really think I'm like? I get it. Probably nobody here's murdered anybody. And if you have, don't tell me. I really don't want to know. <laughs> and by the way, killing in the line of duty is different from murder, and the Bible makes a distinguishing difference between the two. But whether or not you might have done or I may have not done any of us may have done or not done the things that we quote think are horrible compared to what other people have done. It does not change the fact that all of us stand guilty before a holy God. If you like to think of yourself as a decent, good person, that might be noble, but it's not true. The Bible says in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. Not a single one of us. David would, David would write in Psalm 51, verse 5, Surely I was sinful from birth. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me in the womb. Because he understood we're born with a sin nature. We are a fallen human race. And we have a serious wound that only Jesus, the great physician, can cure. And it's called sin. We have to all come to grips with this. Mankind is not the solution to mankind's problem. Jesus is. Because it's not just what we do. It's who we are. And who we are, like it or not, is sinful. Because it's about the heart. It's always about the heart. You know, the Jews in Jesus' day placed strong emphasis on the external. So they were more about religious rituals and ceremonial cleansings and dietary aspects of the law because they all thought it was about the external that that's what made a person holy and this is the very thing that jesus confronts even in his own day because it's not the external it's the internal
Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's study on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary has been sharing from the writings of Jeremiah, and we hope you'll continue to tune in to dig deeper into this Old Testament book of prophecy. If you have any questions about this series, the Bible itself, or the ministry of Cornerstone Connection, please feel free to reach out. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. And when you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. You can continue listening to Pastor Gary's messages right now by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or by downloading our mobile app. You can find a link on our website or just search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Pastor Gary also has some companion study resources for many of his teachings. These are located under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc and are free for you to use in your own study of the Word. We'd enjoy meeting you too. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You can get directions and service times at our website, One more time, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's teaching. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.